welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today we decided to go a little foreign with the 2008 Swedish film Let the Right One In. Now this has actually been remade in the U.S. Uh, to Let Me In, I think is what it's uh-huh. called. And I've actually seen that one before this. I had not seen this film before and you hadn't either, no. right? I wanted to see the original first before I saw the American remake, but circumstances, I don't remember. I just ended up seeing it, and I fell in love with that movie. I was like, man, if this is what the remake is like, the original's got to be awesome. And uh, I certainly felt the same way about the Swedish film that I did about the remake. I don't know. what. what how did you feel about that? Gosh, I don't know. I, I was really interested to see what you had to say because I haven't seen either. I, too, kind of felt like I should see the original before seeing the remake, even though I had heard good things about both. So, I mean, I guess the question that I have for you is how similar or different are they? You know, they're not that different. Uh, but they're different in... And, and it's been a while, so I can't really mm-hmm. tell you precisely... But I can tell you the American one is a little more Americanized. The horror elements are a little more horror, but not to the extent that most horror films are. I think the director of that film really respected the original material and tried to keep it as true to the Swedish original as possible. And so what you get with that film is very much what you get with this film. A very melancholy, sad... And sweet in the same in the same kind of way, very European yeah, style film. Really, it's it, it's a great remake, and the actors in the original and in, in the remake are fantastic as well. And there, so many of the same elements are kept that it's almost the same film, but with a twist uh-huh. that makes it. And I don't mean like there's like a twist in the plot or anything, right, but right. I just just with enough of a different style that I think it's worth seeing both. I think if you've seen one, you can totally see the other and appreciate them both and enjoy them both. Yeah, I, I want to see the remake now, but not tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this is a... It's an interesting film because I know that it got really, really positive reception, and I'm actually a little bit surprised. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it resonated especially with an American audience of horror fans because it's really different i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's not your typical horror movie there's gosh honestly with a two-hour running time the like literal horror elements like going in basically all i knew about this movie was that it was a vampire movie and that the two main characters one was human one was vampire and that's it that's That's all i knew and you know if you take out the vampire scenes that, you know, directly show any vampire action or vampire violence, that would maybe be, what, like, 10 minutes? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating, yeah, but... Yeah, there's maybe 10 minutes of vampire violence, is right, what you're saying. Right, right. Yeah, there's very little of it in this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much more seems to be, you know, I would even almost characterize it more as a drama, mm-hmm. um, a character-driven drama Certainly, as opposed to your average horror film and, and your average vampire film, even like a drama that happens to be about vampires, right? Essentially, <laughs> right? Exactly. And I kept thinking that you know, kind of, it's a it's a pretty simple setup. Um, we've got a main character, Oscar. Uh, a young boy, a young blonde boy, about 12 years old, lives in what appears to be kind of like tenement apartments, yeah, kind of? Yeah, probably not 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess if they were American apartments, you'd almost think of it as kind of like the projects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seemed, you know, low socioeconomic status. And he's kind of troubled in that he's kind of different and weird and he's being bullied at school and whatnot. And then um, all of a sudden, at the very beginning of the movie, these two new residents move in right next door, a middle-aged gentleman and what appears to be a young girl. And then they kind of uh, establish this friendship, and you can tell very early on that there's something different about her. I mean, the first time that they meet, um, she appears off camera, but she appears silently, and she's like standing on top of this jungle gym out in front of the apartment. And she's talking to him, and when she jumps down, I mean, there's a slowness in her fall that's not natural. So you know what you're getting into. And then, really the whole movie is just kind of about their relationship. And there are these little ancillary things going on in the boy's life, but it's really just all... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to describe. It is. You know, I found the boy to be highly relatable. I, I feel like this boy goes through a lot of what I went through as a kid, you know? Uh, I was a little bit more of the silent type for a while. At least I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think everybody at some level feels when they're 12, which is how old he is, kind of withdrawn, a little tentative. You're starting to get to puberty, but maybe you're not quite right. there yet. And then... His school situation, where he's being bullied. We kind of jump in in the middle of it, really, yeah. where we learn that uh, Oscar is being bullied by this guy named Connie. Right. I think it's one of the first things. And, and actually, maybe the first line of the film is, squeal like a pig, squeal uh-huh. like a pig. And it's a little weird, uh, but we realize that it's Oscar saying it. At first, you think it's to somebody else, maybe, in right. his room. And he's playing with a knife. But you later find out that it's Connie who's calling him a pig and probably has used that on yeah, him. Yeah, like that's what they taunt him with. And so it kind of in his little revenge fantasies, that's he's turning the tables on them. Yeah, and that's really what I think it's almost all about is his revenge fantasy in a way. Even when she first appears to him is when he's outside with a knife doing the same thing. He's sticking it in a tree almost as though he's uh, defending himself Mm -hmm. against these bullies that he absolutely is not going to defend himself against. He's the kind of kid who is just going to sit there and take it and close his eyes and hope that they go away. And that's essentially what happens every single time. Well, and you feel for this kid because it's brutal bullying. I mean, God, we all experience some bullying in our lives for whatever reason. But, you know, this these there's these three kids. It's it's Connie and then these his like two lackeys or whatever that are just ruthless. I mean, it, it's verbal abuse. It's physical. Uh, and, and, you know, I, <laughs> I work in a school. I think, my God, surely these things don't go on and we just don't know about it. I, I certainly hope not. Um, these teachers didn't seem to be particularly aware yeah. uh, of, of all this going on. And so you do, I mean, you relate to him. If you don't relate to him, I think you have to at least feel for the poor kid. Uh, it's, it's sad. And there's kind of that tone of sadness throughout the whole thing. There really is. And it's interesting how it's a juxtaposition, really, of the sad loneliness of him in his childhood, adolescent self, and the loneliness of Ellie, the girl, mm-hmm. in her vampire self. Right. Who, they're very, they're much uh, two sides of the same coin in a way. Yeah, and they're both very isolated, and I think that that's kind of what draws them together. I mean, initially she says to him, you know I can't be your friend. Uh, and he says, well, what makes you think I would want to be your friend? So both of them kind of have their guard up at the beginning, but that's then they, they obviously, you know, 
see something in one another that they can relate to. And that's what I was thinking. You know, her thing is vampirism, but you it could have been something else. Yeah. It, it could have been race. It could have been poverty. It could have been mental illness. Could have been an abusive family member. Right. Anything. Right, exactly. And, and the fact that she, you know, her conflict really comes from the fact that she has to have blood. You know, she's got this caretaker who... I guess is is kind of trying to help her out. It seemed to me that the arrangement that they had was that maybe he could be more discreet. I guess maybe he could he could be the one to go out during the day. And yeah, it was an interesting thing. The first kill we see in the movie is actually him. He mm-hmm. does it, and he is standing. You see him pack up what's essentially his kill kit, yeah, right? Yeah, he's got a gas mask, some kind thing, of ether, and some kind of ether attached to it. A a bucket and a funnel mm-hmm. and a knife and he just packages and a little jar of some liquid mm-hmm. he packages it all up and stands by the side of the road at night under a street lamp i mean pretty well lit area but it seems to be like a public park yeah but clearly <clears throat> we're we're out isolated a bit a but bit. not way out in the country because as he's standing on this road that we haven't seen any cars pass down behind him through the woods which are not full of trees. It's it's snowing. It's yeah. a snowy, snowy place in Sweden. It's bright. There are cars in the distance passing by in the highway. So this guy just walks towards him, and he says, uh, can you tell me the time? And this guy says, no, I don't have a watch. Uh, what is that you're holding? And he said, oh, this is a halothane or whatever mm-hmm. that is. And he says, well, what's that? Well, you're going to be the first person to find out. And he basically knocks him out with mm-hmm. it, pulls him up hanging upside down to the tree, slits his throat, just sort of like you bleed cattle. Right. And it's odd because it's almost out in the open. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's just a It's It begs weird. a lot of questions. It begs a lot of questions. And things that I was wondering about, you know, at first I thought, well, maybe he can be more discreet because later on, uh, you, this attempt is, is foiled um, because he's in a public place. You know, people show up and he just has to abandon it and he, he leaves with nothing. And when he gets back, um, Ellie is angry uh, with him and says something like, am I supposed to how, am I supposed to take care of myself? You're you're supposed to help me. Yeah. Um, something like that. So it seems like he's in a position of caregiver, maybe because later on when she does attack somebody, it's very animal and it's supernatural in a sense, and she is observed. Yeah, um, she's so seen. right. So maybe I, I guess the theory is that he is is trying to be more discreet or, or can be more discreet or something, but he's not. No, <clears throat> and that's the thing. Like he he almost gets caught that time, and then the very next time he goes out to try again, he's pretty obvious, and he gets caught again. It had me questioning, is he maybe ready to be caught? Yeah, I was just going to say that. I, I got that feeling, like he's at the end of his rope, and he doesn't have much to say to her when he gets back. He's kind of quiet about it all, and I, I do get the sense that maybe you're right. Like, this has been going on for so long that he's tired, and he's ready to be caught, and so he's getting sloppy, yeah. in a sense. Well, and now... See, and it just makes me wonder about the nature of his relationship with her. She, you know, Ellie asks, or excuse me, Oscar asks her how old she is, and she's evasive. He asks her twice, and she says about 12 the first time. And then she says later when he asks again, when he finds out that she's a vampire, she says 12. I've just been 12 a long time. So this guy, I presume, has been with her for a while. I found myself wondering if he had at one point been a young boy that she had befriended and had enlisted to be her caretaker because there also seems to be some jealousy on his part um, yes. when, when she starts 
forming a relationship with Oscar, he doesn't seem to like it and he doesn't want her to be around. And it seems like he really has affection for her and, and a desire to, to protect her. So maybe it's a jealousy thing. And maybe when he sees that somebody new is in the picture, maybe that's a way out. It's, I don't know. It's very possible. I feel like that's pretty strong. And that's part of what makes this movie so sad, I think, is that you're watching this relationship develop. Well, and and remember, at that one, it's before he goes out for his last kill, before he's completely caught, mm-hmm. he's packing up his kit and... We're getting to see a little closer that jar of some liquid that he has mm-hmm. for the first time. It almost looks like pickle juice. It's, yeah. Who knows what it is. He l- turns to her, and she looks at him, and I believe that's about the time when he maybe says, I don't want you looking at her. Um, go- I don't want you getting together with that boy mm-hmm. again. She just looks at him, and she tenderly touches his cheek. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't say she won't. Exactly. And you almost see the writing on the wall at that point. And especially I feel like by the end of the movie, oh my gosh, it's like here they've developed this relationship and they've, they've, but this has probably happened before. This is what happened with her and this guy. This guy sees it happening because it's him. And that's why his last kill doesn't really go out. He's, he's really phoning it in by that point, you know, True. he goes by the school where the kids are swimming well, and he's very obvious. That's so weird. Like when he's watching them play basketball or something, right he's, through the window, right, standing right in full frame. I mean, could that be any more suspicious? <laughs> <laughs> some middle-aged guy standing outside watching young boys play basketball. I think that would raise some eyebrows. It, it would. <laughs> and and he strings this kid up in the in there, and his friends are still outside smoking. I mean, mm-hmm. there's almost no effort. And when the friends do catch him. He just goes into the other room and pours what we now learn as acid all over his face. To, I thought he was going to drink it or, I did or too. totally kill himself. I did too. I guess he was just disfiguring his face. So that he couldn't be recognized because townspeople had seen them together and because his first murder was botched and so they know there's a murderer out there. Then somebody local, somebody that they see regularly, uh, witnessed her kill somebody. Didn't get a good look but he thinks that people will put two and two together so he disfigures himself. Um, But really it only seems to be well, A, okay, fine, so people won't put two and two together, but B, when she comes to see, when she hears on the radio that this mysterious man has been arrested, she goes to the hospital, um, and she visits him, and we get to see, you know, she goes in and asks the nurse where he is, and she says, well, seventh floor, but it's restricted, and after she runs out, the nurse runs after her, I guess, and we kind of see her scaling up the side of the window. So we get this, you know, she's she's full vampire. She's got yeah. all the vampire stuff, but when, uh, when uh, she goes to to visit the guy, and we're not just being negligent and not saying his name. I don't think he was ever no, given a name, was he? Absolutely not. Mm-mm. She opens the window. He's disfigured, so he can't invite her in. But he leans out, and it seemed to me it seemed an offering, a sacrifice. Yeah. He sacrificed himself to her. So I almost think that he intentionally didn't kill himself. That yeah. he wanted to be for her, kind of her, her last meal. Yes, yeah, I guess his, his some, last their last thing. To to, right, exactly. Yeah, the film just goes on like this, but it mostly focuses on the relationship between the boy and the girl, and I feel like it develops very naturally. He m- writes up Morse code at school so that they can communicate through the wall uh-huh. because their apartments are right next to each other. Um, he shows her the Rubik's Cube and she doesn't know what a Rubik's Cube right. is, which is also another weird clue, right? And and she solves it and he's interested in her. There's this... It's bordering on romantic, mm-hmm. but it's about as far romantic as 12 years old exactly. can get, which is part of what's so sweet about it. It is. It's like they don't know what to do 
or at least he doesn't know what to do. And she, because she's not really human, in a sense, or she says she's not a girl. I, I really like this moment in the movie where they're at a. It's a point where she comes back from when she kills. Yeah, the man. I think. Yeah, she 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 killed this local guy who everybody likes. Um, his name is Jock, and and it, it seems that she deteriorates if she doesn't eat, and at some point she just has to, um, and that's the guy that uh, somebody witnessed it. Right. <clears throat> he asks her. Oh yeah, and then they go to a fair, right? A carnival of some kind, or at least there's some food outside, and they're around the door, and he hands her some food and says. Here, have one. And she looks at him and says, no. And she looks at him for a while, and he looks at her, and then finally she says, well, maybe I can just try one. She takes it, and then the next scene is of her retching. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't eat anything but right. blood. I guess, is that vampire lore, too? Or I, I think it depends. It is in this yeah. movie. <clears throat> but it's a touching moment where she obviously doesn't want to disappoint him, so she's going to do something that is going to hurt her, and, and she does this multiple times through the mm-hmm. film. He goes over and he back and he consoles her and he hugs her. And you get sort of that first tender moment. Yeah. She doesn't really know what to do. Her arms are by her side. And he says, she asks him, do you like me? And he says, yes, I really, really do like you. And she asks, would you like me if I weren't a girl? And he's, Yeah. <laughs> is what he says. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It doesn't even matter to, to him. Right. There's you know? another part, another very tender, sweet part where she, uh, I, I think again, it's after a kill. I'm it's not after sure. she kills her caretaker, I believe. Right. She comes to him, to his window, um, which is on the second or third floor, but he's kind of sleepy and, um, uh, sh- well, he's sleeping, um, but she knocks on the window and asks to be invited in and he invites her in. And she says for him to close his eyes, uh, which he does, and she disrobes and gets into bed with him. And there was a part of me that thought, oh, this could border on kind of weird, they're very young, but it didn't. I mean, it was just kind of innocent and sweet. The fact that she disrobed was just kind of secondary. I I don't even know what the point was, really. Yeah. Um, But again, he asked if, if they can go steady, and she initially says no, and, um he protests, I guess, and she says, I'm not a girl. Uh, and he says, well, are we going to go steady or aren't we? And it's a cute kind of back and forth. You know, it's that kind of thing probably uh, I had this experience where it's like, do you want to go out with me? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, just, <laughs> right, it's very right. 12 years old um, and it's kind of sweet. <clears throat> I was reading online. Now, this is very ambiguous in the movie and I don't know how they handled it in the American version, but I was reading online that in the novel, the source material novel, Ellie is actually an androgynous boy who was castrated at the same time that he was turned into a vampire. Oh, wow. Now, that's all I know. I don't know why. I don't know the context. In the movie, there's a scene where she takes a shower at his house, and then he gives her a, a dress of his mother's to wear, and we get a quick glimpse of her genital area, which just seems scarred. I didn't really know yeah. what to make of it. Um, but apparently, you know, they, they don't really go out of their way to address it in the film, but they leave it ambiguous enough, and there's enough suggestion that she maybe really is or was a boy. And and I agree with you that the fact that it wasn't an issue for him was sweet and something that you don't really see very often. And and maybe it's because he's a child and, you know, he doesn't really have a developed sense of what romance and that kind of thing is. Well, that's true. <clears throat> and children, people are, their sexuality is flipping and flopping right. a lot, you know, when you're a kid up until, you know, you kind of solidify things as an adult. So it's really kind of true to life in a sense. Yeah. And, 
And the fact that this kid is so lonely, he, you know, he's, his mother just seems to, she's there and they seem to have a nice little right. relationship, but there she's are nice not, moments between them. She's not really there. And her dad, you know, we have a scene later with, with his dad and, you know, he's drinking and there's a clear distance between them. Right. I mean, if the first scene between him, he goes and visits his dad on the weekends and the first scene is very nice. He seems to have a really nice time. They go like, um, snowboarding or, or like, uh, what are those, uh, snowmobiles? They go snowmobiling. Yeah. Um, and it seems like they have a really nice time. The second time around, a friend comes over to visit the dad and they start drinking and you can tell that obviously there's some underlying issue there. But there's again... something creepy and weird about it, Yeah, and, but it's so secondary to the plot, it's yeah. almost just kind of establishing his world. Yes. And, and even though he does seem to really have a fondness for his dad, there's clearly problems too. Yeah. Um, and so again, it's just another one of those, this poor kid. <laughs> well, yeah, and this kid would latch on to anything. You know, this yeah. kid would latch on to a cat if yeah. it showed him attention, you know? So... It all makes perfect sense, and it's played out beautifully, I think, and and slowly, in a way that it's very believable and understandable. Yeah, I think a lot of that is owed to the performance. I mean, the actors here are great. I mean, it just seems so natural. The two young actors um, really have, I don't know if you'd call it a chemistry, but they just... It seems like we're looking into a real scene. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel acted. It's And it's subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not over the top. It, it just feels like a real developing relationship. I'm still a little bit conflicted. I can't decide if she or he, whatever, um, you know, is it sweet and romantic? Or is there a darker side to where she's kind of seducing this boy and maybe taking advantage of... His, where he is in his mind. Well, I think there's a neediness on both of their ends. It's almost one of those tragic stories where she is so needy that she is, in a way, I think, seducing him and selfishly. But in the same sense, he's also extremely needy. The only difference here is that she's presumably, I don't know, maybe hundreds of years old. Right, right, right. right. And she's been through this before. And this he is actually 12 and not sophisticated enough. That would tip the scale a little bit in the direction of maybe she's more the predator here. And it just, you know, it makes me wonder about the lore and the laws that they're following here because it varies from vampire story to vampire story. You know, I typically when I think of young vampires, I think of old souls and young bodies. I mean, there may have been some suggestion here that her maturation was suspended along with her physical growth. So maybe she still has the mind of a 12 year old. I don't know. I mean, she's obviously a little bit more worldly than him, and she does help him. You know, she's the one that tells him, if you're being bullied, hit back. You know, if you hit back, they'll stop bothering you. And and she maybe pushes a little too hard. He may eventually take it a little far, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the bullies in one scene uh, confront him, and he does exactly what she told him. He strikes out with all his force. He actually ends up injuring the Connie, the main bully, uh, pretty seriously. But it gets them off his back for a while. For a while, yeah. Mm-hmm. And until Connie can bring in the bigger muscle. Which right. I guess was his brother, older brother, I or think somebody so. was that? Right. Because it, when. Back from college or something. Yeah. The only indication that we get is that the, the bigger kid kind of gives Connie a hard time and Connie just kind of playing around with him and he says, Give me your keys. And Connie says, Why? Because I want to go home. I'm going to get home before you. So I assume they're brothers. Well, the interesting thing I think about the bully scenes in this film is that, you know, when you mentioned the vampire scenes are about 10 minutes long. Also, it seems like the bully scenes 
are the scariest scenes yes. in the film. Yes. Uh, I, I was keep getting I keep getting flashbacks to Karate Kid in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that in a while. Yeah, I just watched it Did yesterday. Really? Okay, so this is good. <laughs> this is crazy that you watched it yesterday because I saw it maybe a year or two ago for the first time in a long time. Obviously, probably a favorite of yours just as much as it was mine mm-hmm. growing up. But watching it now, those scenes of bullying are brutal yeah. in that film. You, you really don't... They, they candy coat that nowadays, mm-hmm. really. But those guys are relentless on him to a really disturbing degree. And that is how it felt in a different way with this film. Yeah, that film is just relentlessly violent. I mean, they jump him and they beat him up like crazy. But in this film, it's extremely foreboding. As soon as the bullies come on the screen, I'm thinking in particular about maybe the second scene Mm -hmm. where he leaves the school and he's walking. And as he walks by, you see two kids kind of blurred out in the background, Mm -hmm. but slowly coming towards him. But the camera keeps keeps panning with him. So those kids drop out of frame, but you know they're behind him. And, And then as the camera pans over, suddenly the bully comes into view and he stops there. And then the kid stops. And then those kids come behind Mm -hmm. him. It's this slow ambush like you'd get in a horror film. Mm -hmm. You know? It was really tense and very scary. And then that scene, you know, they they torment him. And like, like Todd said before, I mean, at this point, he really just takes it. One of them holds him while the others whip him with like a, a stick switch. And gosh, these scenes are just so weird, not only in that they're really scary for him, but even the bullies themselves, like, it's... They're not enjoying it. No, I mean, it's almost like some... Gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. There's one bully in particular who takes the switch and and starts hitting him, but then, like, really gets into it and is, like, almost crying Crying, or weeping as he does it. It's really... It's kind of strange. I mean, I think it's meant to suggest that Connie really kind of has power over these. He's really more the brains, uh, and he lets other people kind of do the real dirty work. But even just that dynamic is is ugh, grim and, and dark. It is. And it's also, I think, what part of what makes this film so beautiful is it's so real. The bad guys, just like we were talking about with last week's film, how the good and evil isn't clear-cut. This is another perfect example of that movie. Obviously, the girl, it's she has to kill mm-hmm. in order to live, and that's the vampire thing anyway. And so that is already a ambiguous uh, evil, in a sense. The same way with these bullies, uh, except for Connie, who seems to be Big the most jerk. Ju- yeah. biggest jerk. His friends even uh, don't uh, don't seem to want to go along. Yeah, with it, it seems like they're ambivalent at, at least. Yeah. And even by the end, Connie himself uh, can be pushed too far. Right, you know, we right. See that as well. Um, yeah, I, gosh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's also, I mean, we're kind of neglecting there's this other little side story where the locals are kind of getting up in arms and um, they're angry about, you know, Jacques, who had been very popular with all of them, and, and they're getting suspicious. And I don't know how much there is to really say about that, except for that they are kind of investigating and it. In a very um, lame way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of them, there's only one woman in the group, Jinnia, um, her. Her boyfriend, Lackey, um, is really, really upset at, at Jock's death, and he knows a kid did it, and he wants to find this kid, and he says he wants he if he found the kid, he'd tear him apart. Um, it's because they've talked to this guy, um, Gosta, I believe, yeah. who was this crazy cat man. He, and he's the one who <laughs> saw it happen. He saw it happen, yeah. Right. 
Uh, but he doesn't want to go to the police. He's pretty frightened by it all. And yeah. so he's the one who clued them in uh, to what's going on. Well, uh, Lackey and, and Jenny kind of get into a, a, a spat. And, you know, it's it's kind of silly. It's not really important. They get into a spat, and she goes off alone. And he goes taking off after her. Oh, gosh, I failed to mention the context for this scene. Um, Ellie is hungry because uh, Oscar has taken her to kind of a special s- oh. secret spot um, where the bigger kids go. You know, it seems like kind of a make-out place or something but um, he's only 12 right he's only 12 he's kind of you know he's doing kind of the big kid thing now that they're going steady but he doesn't even understand himself what the big kid thing right. is, does he no, no. surely <laughs> to, not to him the big kid thing is this blood brothers type pact yeah right? and you know unwittingly you know he he wants to do a blood brothers thing so he cuts himself and then the blood is dripping and she's freaking out and eventually she can't control herself she gets down on the floor and laps up the blood and then she runs away and runs up a tree and that is Unfortunately for Jinnia, she walks underneath the tree and uh, is attacked, but Lackey is right behind her and is able to shoo Ellie away. Eventually, what happens is Jinnia turns to a vampire, and we kind of see, you know, that that's a difficult transformation and she doesn't want to be a vampire and eventually there's an amazing scene where she has you know she's been hospitalized she's told lackey she doesn't want to live she knows she's infected but of course he won't do anything um to help her but the next morning an orderly or a nurse or something comes in um and is going to take off her restraints and whatnot and she asks him to to raise the blinds and he does and she just erupts in flames just a really cool shot and right you know right before she erupts in in into flames uh the camera i mean it's it's not a a zoom out but it it cuts back to far back in the room so the whole room is just framed you know in the center of this wide shot and you just see these flames just erupt and then spread across the ceiling uh a really cool uh effect but i kind of have a feeling it was just a way for them to show us what happens you know what i mean Mm -hmm. didn't really seem uh, all that important Yeah, you could have taken that subplot out of there entirely, really. Except for, I don't know, does Lackey put two and two together at that point that there we're dealing with vampirism I, yeah he he must he must because he eventually goes uh, to invest he, they know where she lives yeah because they all live kind of in this same area and so he goes there and this is getting very near to the end of the film you know we're kind of glossing over some things mm. but uh, before this guy Lackey uh, shows up at her house um, Ellie has had a talk with Oscar saying, you've wanted to kill before, haven't you? And he kind of is reluctant, and she says, but if you could, you would like it. And it seems that this is the point where she is trying to recruit him into the position of her new caretaker. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when Lockie comes to her, you know, this this is at night when they have that conversation. And then the next day, he, uh, excuse me, Oscar goes over to her apartment and there's a note. She's left him several notes throughout the course of the movie. But there's a note that says, I'm in the bathroom. Please don't come in. Come back and see me later. Yep. At the same time, Lackey comes in and uh, Oscar hides as Lecky is looking around, the bathroom door is locked, but he jimmies it and he gets in. And she's got set up kind of, I guess, the equivalent of a coffin yeah. in her bathtub. And she's kind of buried in lots of layers of blankets and things. But he uncovers her uh, and then he takes a knife uh, and it, it appears he's going to kill her. And from behind, we see Oscar coming and he has his knife drawn and, and appears like he's going to be ready to do what he has to do to protect his friend. 
I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, yeah. uh, she wakes up and she attacks uh, and kills Lapis. But that really kind of cements the bond, yeah. I think. She thanks him, because his yelling, uh, no, is what wakes her up. And did you think he was going to kill him? I thought if he had to, he would have tried. Yeah. I didn't think that he probably could have overpowered. This was a, you know, an no, adult, was a no big way. guy. Um, even with a knife, I don't think that he could have overpowered him. But I do think that he would have tried. But, again, attention is drawn because people have heard this scuffle and they can hear shouts and things coming from other apartments. And she says, I have to leave. I mean, it's obvious that she's going to... Ha- she can't stay there. Um, she, there's a dead body in there. Um, so she's going to have to go. She says, I have to leave. And it appears that that's going to be it. And then, again, it's kind of sad because then we kind of follow uh, Oscar around again. And we see that the bullies have him set up um, mm. or, or they're they're setting him up. And this part, this again, the bully scenes are scarier than the vampire scenes. Yeah. Um, when, you know, Oscar gets a phone call from one of the bullies and says, hey, I hope you're going to come to swim practice tonight. What you did, and this is one of Connie's friends, so what you did to Connie was kind of cool. He kind of had it coming, so come on. But then when we see on the other end of the line, that kid is actually surrounded by Connie and the other lackeys and, and the big brother. Oh, man, I was scared. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to kill him. Yeah, it was. it's terrible, and they get really close to it. You mm-hmm. know, they... The, and this, the ending of this film and the ending of the American version are the, pretty much the same. I do remember. I think I enjoyed actually the American version better in that in that scene. I just felt like it was shot in a little more interesting way, but it was shot in a very similar way. They created a version outside to get the adults uh, to get the adult out of the building. They've set fire to one of the dumpsters, and uh, they come in and kick all the kids out of the pool. And it so happens that uh, Oscar is only the only one in the pool, and I think it's that one of the kids who's sort of ensured that that would that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. He's standing by, and yeah, the big the bigger kid comes in and has a knife and tells him he's gonna have to stay underwater for three minutes, and if he does, he's only gonna nick him. But if he doesn't do the whole three minutes, he's gonna stab him in the eye. And kid says it's that's impossible. And then he grabs his hair and he puts him underwater and he's going to hold him down there, you know, figuring he, he's going to drown mm-hmm. this kid. And even at that point, Connie himself is looking on like, uh, I'm not sure this is cool. And the one kid with the switch who had mm-hmm. earlier obviously not enjoyed it as much as he mm-hmm. thought he would, it basically sits down and cries. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all going to sit there and let it happen. Right. It's that, again, it's such a kid thing. Where you're just not smart enough. <laughs> right. Or, or you feel powerless. I mean, you know what's happening is bad, but what are you going to do? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and uh, while he's underwater, and this is what makes this scene so cool. Oh, my gosh. It was such a cool scene. <laughs> so you see some a leg go by and some feet get dragged through behind him. Right, on the surface of the water. And you can hear, I mean, you're... It's, you have that underwater sound, mm-hmm. uh, that interference of underwater, but you can kind of hear these muffled screams and shouts um, from above the surface. And like you said, there's... <laughs> uh, my favorite one, I think, well, first you kind of see a leg or something go right through, right in front of you, in front of the screen. And then you see kind of off behind um, Oscar, these legs get dragged all the way down the length of the pool. <laughs> and then pulled out. And they're right. And, and then a head a gets head thrown in there. <laughs> and then that hand that's... Uh, uh, that arm that's holding his head falls away. Yeah, and it's torn uh, severed. Off, right, uh, and he gets pulled up uh, very tenderly and just looks in the face of this girl. And it's interesting. It's an interesting moment for me. I think symbolically, it's interesting. 
it's almost a baptism of a sorts. Yeah. You know, where when he comes out of the water, now he's fully ready to join her and leave this horrible life that he has. Right. But also, his eyes are closed through this whole thing, and it almost seems like he's going to give up. Yeah. He doesn't really struggle. Even when the arm drops away, he's still there. And even when she pulls him up, he's not gasping for breath or right. anything like that. And he's been down for, I don't know, at least 60 seconds. Yeah. It's almost like he, he would have been content to die right there. Right. Because she was gone. Mm-hmm. But she's not. <laughs> yeah. And she's there and she protected him and they just kind of share this this meaningful glance. And then it cuts back to some snow, just, you know, a snowy screen. Which is how it started. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just going to be the end. And uh, I thought the credits would start to roll. But then there's another scene, a very, very brief scene, where you see uh, Oscar sitting on a train, uh, and it's daylight, and next to him is a cardboard box, and from outside of the cardboard box, you hear the knocking and, and scratching that they have been doing their Morse code through the walls. Um, so the implication is that they're running away together, and this may be the start of a long relationship between the two. Yeah, until he becomes the older guy, right. you know? Right. And he gets tired of it. And that's what's so sad bittersweet, tragic about it. But he's clearly the happiest he's ever been. And maybe this girl guy, maybe Ellie, has this knack for hooking up with people who need her the most. Maybe. Um, because she needs them the most. It would be nice to think that. I I would hate to think that it was more sinister. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit torn. And I, I think that that's a good thing about this movie is that it is ambiguous. It doesn't just lay it out there for you. And like you said, there are shades. It's not good and bad or, or good and evil. It's It's... It's really more human, yeah. <laughs> uh, ironically, uh, in the vampire, that she might be being selfish and trying to be helpful and, and sincere at the same time, as I'm sure we all have been at some point. Well, I think there's a case to be made for the fact that she's mature enough to know exactly what's going on. And maybe the strongest indication of that is that scene where she kisses him. And we see briefly a flash of an older-looking yes. Ellie. Yes, And that, to me, was almost uh, trying to hammer home the idea that even though she's a 12-year-old girl, she's not 12 years old uh, mentally. I think you're right. So I, I think there's a big... I think you could make that case about yeah. this being a little more sinister. She knows exactly what she's doing. And, and, and yet, maybe this is the best place for him. Maybe he would have maybe. died anyway. You know, right. it's, it's really hard to say. I was reading that the director of this film, uh, Tomas Alfredson, wasn't interested in doing a vampire movie. So he deliberately toned down aspects of the novel that were maybe more vampiric or, mm. you know, whatever, and clearly focused more on the relationships. And I think that was an effective choice because it's what makes this film stand out. It does. It does make it stand out. And, you know, we've talked about really how little there is in terms of vampire action, but what is there is actually pretty good. I mm. mean, the the first attack that Ellie makes, um, I thought was really effective. You know, she pretends, this is when she attacks Jacques. Um, she pretends to be in need of help. You know, she's kind of under this bridge and uh, he very gingerly picks her up. And then in just the blink of an eye, I mean, she just goes completely animal savage on him, like locks him in a bear hug. And it's very violent. You know, he's still supporting them both on his legs as she's kind of, you know, 
eating him. And it, it's, you know, it made me jump. It was a scary scene. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was done really effectively. So, you know, it's not that that's not present at all. It's just not the focus. And so I feel like you should know that going in, depending upon what type of experience you're looking for. That's true. Yeah. It still has its moments of brutality. Mm-hmm. And yet even in there, it's delightfully emotionally ambiguous because when she's done with him, it's almost like she starts crying. She does. And uh, she looks at him, and she kind of looks around, and she looks back at him, and then twists his neck mm-hmm. uh, before like puts she puts him goes. out of her, out of his misery. Yeah, it, and there again is a is a point where the most effective villains, I think, in a film are the villains where you feel some sympathy for. Right, and you definitely feel sympathy for this girl in this in this film. Agreed. To the point where you you almost hesitate to call her a villain in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I really appreciate that it takes its time with the cinematography. I appreciate that the film puts you in that mood from the beginning, that this is going to be a slow, dramatic film. Mm-hmm. And that makes the horror elements that much more shocking uh, because it's surrounded by such calm and serene material. Very melancholy throughout. It is. You don't really ride a roller coaster of emotions in this film, I think. You almost just have this impending sense of dread through the whole thing. Well, and that, you know, that's good. I mean, that's that's difficult to do, I think, and especially to maintain that for two hours. I did not think it was boring. It was a little bit slow paced. um, And frankly, I do think that they maybe could have done a little bit of editing of some of the side stories, especially the locals. I mean, I, I get it, you know, and it was fine. It was acted, directed well, nothing wrong with it maybe not so necessary. They maybe could have trimmed the time down a little bit. But generally speaking, it's beautifully made, it's beautifully acted. And it's 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 different, and I think that it'll it'll have you thinking, and not in a bad way. Um, but uh, I wouldn't say it's a fun movie. No, you know what I mean, right? It's not one you're probably going to pop in and watch again. Do you think? Well, unless maybe with the right person, maybe with the right person, somebody who would appreciate uh, what it is. But yeah, it's not you know something that you're going to stick on in the afternoon to clean your house. <laughs> <laughs> I would highly recommend seeing the remake. And I don't say that very often because usually remakes suck. Mm -hmm. This one really is a different enough movie that still plays enough respect to the original that it is like seeing a different movie. It is nice to see two different takes on the same story because I think the story is that compelling and it's just so different that it's fun to watch. So I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it. It's a, it's a well-made film. Well done. Very well done. Thank you again for listening uh, to, to another episode. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast, forward it to a friend. Check us out on Facebook. We're on iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. Also on Stitcher. Send us a comment. Let us know what you think. I guess we have some activity on our Google Plus page, too. Yeah, yeah. So if you're one of those uh, nerds who, like us who are into <laughs> like Google us, Plus, right? <laughs> check us out there. Maybe that's where the action is. Until next week, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Two guys in a chainsaw. Thank you.